you have your scripture journals, you can turn to page number 10, page 10, back in the Gospel of John, continuing on in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, if, if you don't, if you have just your Bible notebook, John chapter 1, going to be in verse 35 this morning. We're coming to the end of chapter 1 after three Sundays. This is our fourth Sunday, and we're finishing chapter 1. So don't worry, there's only 21 chapters in the book of John. So we should finish somewhere right around the end of 2021, 2022. I prom- I'm kidding, okay? I promise it's going gonna, it's gonna to pick up. We're going to move a little bit faster as we continue going on. But I do want to do this because I believe it's so important. This passage that we're going to be looking at, there are so many things that we could pull out of this. There's so many different truths and so many different principles that we could take out of this, even this very text that we're looking at from verse 35 through 51. There could be three or four different sermons that I could preach out of this. And so what I'm doing is what I want to do is I want to remind us what is our whole focus of looking at the Gospel of John. What is the whole point? Why are we looking at this? What was John's meaning and reason for diving into this book? That'll help filter this through. And that was found when we looked at John chapter 20. And that is that we may believe in him. That we may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life. And so with that reminder... That's what we begin to look at. That's what we're going to filter everything through when looking at this text because it's so important and so vital for us to catch what John has for us because we're getting ready to go into a new year. We're getting ready to go into another year where we begin the year by making some resolutions, right? We begin the year by saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do better at this, or I'm going to try harder at this. And what my desire for us this morning is that we would see what Jesus has for us this year and see the calling for each of us, because there is no greater calling than trusting and following after Jesus. And the takeaway that we're looking at, that we're pulling out of this, is this, that the calling to believe is an invitation by Jesus to follow him. 2020 is an invitation to, for us to believe, and that invitation is given by Jesus, and it is for the sole purpose that we would follow him. We can make resolution after resolution of how we can be a better person, how to be a better husband, how we can be, be a better parent, how we can be you know, more healthy, all these things. But our number one goal, number one above anything in all things, is that we would follow Jesus this year. That's all I care about, that we would be a church that says, I'm following him a little more this year. Just one step on that. Let's look at the text, and then we'll see what we need to understand out of this. How we, how we, get, how we see this invitation. Beginning in verse 35, it says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, 
what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found, he, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending, uh, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father God, again, we just simply ask that you would show us yourself. We would see with eyes from your spirit, we would hear with your ears, and we would understand our calling and walk in it. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I want us to unpack out of this text that will help us understand what this calling is. If we believe that the calling to believe is an invitation by Jesus to follow him, I believe we need to get a, a little bit bigger understanding and a little bit bigger glimpse of what that particularly looks like. There's three things that I want us to see in this. First off, we need to see the initiative of the caller. We need to see if there's no other calling than the calling to believe, and it's an invitation by Jesus to follow him, we need to see the initiative of the caller. There is an initiative taken by Jesus by the mere fact that God stepped down into creation when he didn't have to. God stepped down, the one who created all things, who spoke all things. He stepped down, and what we see is God made flesh dwelling and interacting with the people, taking initiative. That's huge for one reason and one main reason only, and that is because man, the flesh that he's dwelling among, are completely broken. We are broken. We are messed up. Let's just be honest with ourselves and, and remind ourselves and see that we are broken. And this has been God's MO from the very beginning. 
That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. From the very beginning, the moment that we broke ourselves, which we did, the moment we broke ourselves, God steps in. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember the account. Go back to the garden and what church history is known as the fall and what is our action and what is God's action. Our action is, is that we disobeyed, right? Our action is, is that we got hungry and we decided that we could take things into our own hands and we rebelled and what did we go and do then? We went and hid. Adam and Eve, after their disobedience, they went and hid. They realized there was a moment when they disobeyed that something said this was not a good idea. You ever done that? You ever, had, you ever been doing something saying, mm, this is not a good idea? I think Adam and Eve had that moment, and it was way bigger than they ever imagined. And what they do? They ran, and they hid. But God steps in to pursue we see the account, if we go back and look, we see that all of a sudden they took that, they took that bite, they disobeyed, they rebelled, and their eyes were opened, and all of a sudden they were naked and ashamed, and they're going, oh, this is much bigger than what we're thinking it is. And they go and hide, and God comes what? Pursuing them. God comes walking through the garden to find them. You see, we, many of us, on, and I was, I was in this category, many of us have been taught that Adam and Eve sinned and that God in his holiness and in his righteousness turned his back on Adam and Eve because his holiness could not stand in the presence of sinful man. And we need to understand, yes, we do believe that there is no way whatsoever that God can and would ever sin. But the picture we see in Genesis chapter 3 and the picture we see here in John chapter 1 is not a God who turned his back and said, well, y'all come find me if you got it. It's a God who steps in. It's a God who pursues. That's nowhere in Scripture. The Bible says that Adam and Eve sinned. Their eyes were opened. They covered up. And then they hid. But God was walking in the garden, searching for them, calling out, where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? They disobeyed. The truth is that Adam and Eve made an incorrect judgment of God. They figured they could take it into their own hands. He wasn't waiting behind a tree, watching them, waiting for them to mess up so he could step out and say, hey, hey, don't do that. You ever do that with your kids sometimes? You, you, like, you tell them not to do something and you just kind of step back and you're like, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. It's going to come any minute now. And as soon as they go, hey, stop it. You're right. You know, that kind of thing. I do that with my dog more than anything. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> you know, he, he's digging holes in our backyard, and I'm just sitting there waiting. Like, I'm watching out the window like, wait, is he about to dig? He's about to dig. Get him. You know, that type of thing. That's not God. <laughs> God's not sitting there waiting for us to mess up. He wasn't waiting behind a tree, hoping that they were going to dis disobey so we could step in and squash them. No, he comes in with a, with a father's heart pursuing. They were the one. Catch this. They were the ones that, that stepped out in, with an incorrect judgment. They actually judged God and said, God's not good enough. I can do this on my own. But God in his love 
and in his mercy steps into the garden and he pursues Adam and Eve and he asks the question, God comes in and asks, where are you? Now catch this and understand, it wasn't like God didn't know where they were, right? It wasn't like God's like, Adam and Eve, I can't find you type thing, right? Playing hide and seek with God. That's not, that's not the case. Adam and Eve are, the, are, the, are like the toddlers. You ever played hide and seek with a toddler, Right? You give them 10 seconds to go hide, and what do they do? They go five, five steps down the wall, get up against the wall. You can't see me, I can't see you, right? That kind of thing. Like Adam and Eve thought that they could actually hide from the creator of everything. And the loving father comes in and says, hey, where are you? He's not asking for their physical location. He's not asking them to send him their, his, their GPS. He said, where are you with me? What have you done? I know, I, I, know, I know it. But he wanted them to acknowledge it. But even then, what does God do when, he, when they come up with every excuse? They come up with the excuses and they say, hey, we didn't do it. Adam's like, I didn't do it. She did it. She's like, she, I didn't do it. It did it, pointing at the snake. And then they pass the blame on and on. And finally, the judgment is, has, has to be given. But even in the judgment... God provides and pursues Adam and Eve. What does he do? He provides clothing. They were in the bushes trying to put some leaves together. My, just hope, my hope was they weren't grabbing poison ivy. Right? That could be bad. He says, that's, enough. that's not going to work. Come on, I've got you. Even in the midst of one of the most broken moments, there's a heart of a loving father that says, come with me. Where are you? I know where you're at. Here I am. I'm pursuing, pursuing you. Look at John's message in verse 35. It says again, John again comes back to this passage. And he comes back to this day and he says he was standing with two disciples again. And he looked at Jesus and said again, behold the Lamb of God. Listen, John's message was about one thing and one thing only. It was behold the Lamb of God. He's about one thing and one thing. He doesn't even throw in a new illustration. Like, he doesn't even change it up. He's like, no, yesterday was behold the Lamb of God. Guess what today is? Behold the Lamb of God. Why? Because our God has taken the initiative and stepped in to creation. He has stepped in to our lives. Listen, at risk of sounding like a broken record, this is our message. It is our one and only message. Behold the Lamb of God. It's not that the gospel doesn't speak into other political issues. It's not that the gospel doesn't speak into social issues and, and issues within our lives and in our families and in our own personal time. It's not that it speaks into that. But this is the central focus, the center of the church, or we have no center. If it's not, behold Jesus. A church filled with good works that, never, that, that is without the gospel as a church, without the power of the Spirit. We have one message, and that is Christ crucified. And we have to see that Jesus is initiating all of this. Can I challenge you 
can I beg and plead with you to beware of any message and any teacher and any teaching when the main character is us. Any message, any, any, any mindset that says we are it, it's about us. You see, the church has, has done this off and on in different ways, whether it be legalistic law of guilt and shame, do more, do, har- you know, do more, try harder. The idea that you have to do better or the idea of this idea that God needs us, that he created us for him because without us, he doesn't make it, it doesn't work. Catch that and understand that is not the gospel. The gospel is, is that we were broken and yet Jesus in his grace still loved us. That Jesus came in and said, it's okay, I've got this. One of my favorite verses in scripture, my favorite passages is Ephesians 2. And that is because of two words in there. And that is the two words, but God. Why? Because before that, it expresses who we are. We were dead in our sin. We were, we were aliens and we were trespassers. We were completely in disobedience, turning away from the. But God, in his mercy, pursues us, seeks after us. And he's continuing to do this. Understand this. Write this down because I hope you're encouraged with this. Praise God that he exercises his right to step into our lives. Praise God that he exercises his right to step in to our lives. As a loving father, as the king of kings who created all things, he has the right and he has the grace to step in at just the right moment, at just the right time, and say, hey, here's where we're at. And the beautiful thing is that he will continue stepping in. He'll keep stepping in. He won't start something he isn't going to finish. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'd encourage you to memorize this as an encouragement. If you're ever feeling, I just don't know if I can do this. Remember, it's not about us because it's the fact that God stepped in to our lives and he's the one who initiates this work. And he says that he will not start something that he's not going to finish. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Will bring it to completion. Everybody say completion. One more time. Completion. Now you go, now you're you're awake about that. We've got to understand he has initiated this work and he's going to continue this good work. That was the whole point of Jesus coming in. He steps in. John says, behold the lamb. He has come. He is here. What does Andrew tell, tell Peter? He says, we have found the Messiah. How can you find something unless it's here, unless it's come, unless it's come to us? We could not find him without him revealing himself to us. It says that Philip even Philip, when he goes to get Nathaniel, I love Nathaniel. I wish I could just do a whole, whole sermon on, on the story of Nathaniel because it is amazing on that. But Philip goes to get Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's the skeptic. Nathaniel's the one's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I mean, that's like us saying, can anything good come out of Mississippi? Right? 
I'm sorry, if you're from Mississippi, it don't worry. It's that way up in Kentucky. You know, Kentucky, it's Tennessee, Tennessee, it's South Carolina or wherever, North Carolina, whatever. Everybody's got a state, right? Okay. That's not a pick on anybody in Mississippi. But he's saying, look, can anything good come from there? And you know what Jesus says? Look at, look at, that, look at this passage with us. Look at this part of the, uh, of the story. Look at verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Look what he says. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. It wasn't like Jesus, again, was peeking behind a tree. Oh, there's Nathanael. No, no. Jesus, in his divine nature, saw Nathaniel knew that he was going to be one of his disciples. You know what I caught, what I, what I found interesting, what I realized when I was reading through this, studying this? If Jesus saw Nathaniel before Philip called him, guess what Jesus also saw? Jesus saw Nathaniel's response to Philip. You catch that? If Jesus saw Nathaniel before Philip came and said, we we found the one whom Moses talked about. He, that means he saw, he had the ability to see Nathaniel go, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And even in the dig, even in the shot, Jesus says, it's okay. Why? Because he's taking the initiative. He's doing this good work for us. So we need to see the initiative of the called. But we also need to see and we need to hear the invitation of the, of the called. We see the initiative of the caller. We need to hear the invitation of the called. The invitation of the called, the ones to come. That he says he, he has stepped in and he has stepped in for a reason. And that reason is to invite us into something greater than us. Something bigger than us. When, when Andrew and the other disciple, which we believe to be John the Apostle, He's not mentioned, he's never named, he never names himself in his own gospel. We believe that that second, the, the second disciple of John the Baptist was John the disciple that became the disciple of Jesus to become the apostle. When Andrew heard that, what did Andrew go and do? He says, we have found the Messiah. He goes to his brother. He runs to his brother and says, Peter, guess what? We found him. He's come to us. And what does it say he did? He took Peter to see Jesus. He took Peter to go and meet the Messiah. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. You see, what Andrew is saying to his brother is far more significant for us than, than what we hear just as that saying that he's the Messiah. Remember when we looked back at the very beginning of this book, he said Jesus is the light that shines into the darkness. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is the light that is the only hope for all the darkness that we face. And when he came, he invites us into something bigger. And he says, I'm inviting you out of that darkness and into this light. The, the most beautiful thing about this is we all know, we all know Peter, right? We've all heard the stories of Peter. Even after Jesus, Peter meets Jesus and begins to follow him, those are some of the biggest stories 
of what Peter does. And those are normally the stories that we would never build a, a, a sermon or a, teach, or a teaching or a lesson that says five ways to be like Peter, right? We're probably going to teach a lesson five ways don't be like Peter, right? Number one, be quiet, right? Just that's it. Number one, if you want to not be like Peter, just don't talk because Peter talked and then he thought. Peter taught, and he, he stuck his foot in his mouth a, a little too many times. Peter is that guy that is so brash and arrogant that we probably wouldn't even hire him here, here, here at our church. We'd probably say, look, brother, come on. Can you, can you, let's just, why don't you just spend a little time somewhere? Most churches would go, mm, I don't know about Peter. You know, we've got this candidate, this candidate, this candidate. But Andrew comes to Peter and says, hey, guess what? We found him. We found the Messiah. We found the one who is going to save us. We found the one who is going to deliver us. He has stepped into our lives, and you need to meet him. And Jesus invites Andrew, he invites John, and he invites Peter into this life. He's coming, and he's going, man, look, everything you have, the guilt, the shame, the mistakes, guess what? It's all going to be covered. Because why? Because the Messiah is here. And who is the Messiah? The Messiah is the deliverer. See, what they thought he was going to deliver them from, and they thought they were going to deliver him from the, the Roman uh, oppression. They thought they were going to deliver them from the Roman Empire, that they were going to establish a new kingdom here. And they didn't even realize that, that Jesus was coming with something so much bigger. And that was an invitation to come just as we are. To come in the midst of our mess. Jesus steps into our mess and he says, I've got it. Come to me. What does he say in Matthew chapter 11? He says, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. All who are weary. Every one of us. The messy and the clean. The messed up and the one who thinks they've got it all together, all of us are weary, are we not? All of us struggle with a weight, a heavy laden, a burden. And Jesus invites us as the Messiah. Andrew, Andrew's announcement to Peter is a declaration of an invitation that says, we found the only one that can save, save us. Come and meet him. I love the invitation even to Nathaniel. When Philip goes to tell Nathaniel about Jesus, look at, look at that passage with us. Verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and found Philip and said to him, Follow me. So there's, that, there's another invitation there. It says, Follow me. And Philip was, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and he found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And look at Philip's response. Look at Philip's words. And this was not his invitation to Nathaniel. This was his remembering of what Jesus said to the first disciples and saying, hey, come and see. And Philip says, look, I can't explain it. Just come and see. And you see, Nathaniel's the scholar. 
Nathaniel's the theologian. Nathaniel knew the law of Moses. He knew the testimony. He knew the prophecies of what this of this Messiah that would come. He knew a lot about it. Enough to wonder how Jesus could be it if he was from Nazareth. Now here's my here this I I won't be up front with you and honest. This is not in scripture. This is not the, the story in there, but I believe that based on my experience of what I've seen people and what, what you see throughout the rest of the testimony of Scripture, we, I believe this to be a very good possibility with Nathaniel. From my experience with people in ministry, often the skeptics' questions, you know, the, the question that Nathaniel asked, can anything good come out of that? That's normally a smokescreen to something deeper. That's normally something that's, there's really something kind of digging at that person. And it's so much easier to get academic and kind of disconnect the heart and just go with the mind, right? And so Philip stays in the mind and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I've met people who have a hard time coming and seeing and following Jesus even as he walks by them. Because something, something dark had happened. Some tragedy has come into their life. It happened to them or someone they love. They don't know how to reconcile God's goodness that we hear about with the act of this brokenness. And I don't know if y'all have met anybody like that, but I, I've seen that. I believe that was, that's a good possibility. That was Nathaniel's struggle. Nathaniel's struggle, he's, he's waiting for the Messiah. He knew about the Messiah. There's a chance that this Roman oppression that was beating down on the Jewish, the Jewish people, on the Israelites, Nathaniel had possibly even experienced it up close and personal. He's so hoping for the Messiah that he hears Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is from Nazareth. How in the world can this happen? And I love what Philip says. Philip says, it's okay, come on. Let's just meet him. Just come meet him. Just come see what's happening here. Just, just come talk to the guy. You see, the, when he encounters Jesus, Jesus talks to him as a person. He doesn't try to answer his question. But he identifies him as person. All of a sudden, it's personal with Nathaniel now. He says, there's something bigger here. The invitation is not to have all of our questions answered. It's to let Jesus in to know us. And the invitation is that Jesus would come as the Messiah, the Savior. And he comes with initiative, but comes with love and grace and truth. This invitation is a universal invitation. It is an all-inclusive invitation for the near, for the far, for the scholarly, and for the reject. I love this quote by H.B. Charles. It is the mo one of the most encouraging quotes that I could give you in the, with this particular understanding. It says, no one is beyond the need of God's grace, nor the reach of God's grace. And I don't know about you, but I've been in both places. I've been in the position where I felt like my life was good enough that maybe I didn't really need that grace. And I've been in the position where I said, God, have, have I gone too far that I'm outside of the reach of God's grace? And the invitation is to everyone, near and far. Can we just take a moment right now? Here, here's what I want us to do. This is good. We're, we're going to... We'll branch out a little bit. I right? everybody, everybody kind of get, everybody kind of just go like this because it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. But I want. Can we just encourage each other real quick? 
Because I believe we need to see, we need to be reminded that all of us have heard this invitation and that, and that some of us, we've responded in different ways. We're all coming from different vantage points. There's so many different ways that we've been invited by Jesus into a relationship with Jesus. But the reality and the truth and the, and the fact that we come down to is that all of us have been called by Jesus even if it's by different ways. Some of us, we heard the proclamation like John, behold the Lamb of God. Some of us, maybe there were other people involved, involved but you were sitting in a chair like this or pew uh, of a church, and somebody opened the book, started to preach it, and something broke loose in you. Scales fell off, you saw your need, and you responded to the gospel. If that is you, would you raise your hand right there? If you, you, you came to know Christ through a message, through the proclamation of God's word, amen. Thank you, praise be to God. Some of us are like, are like Philip. Some of us are, are like, like Peter with Andrew. Some of us, it wasn't necessarily in this environment, it wasn't in this setting. It was more so that relationship, that friend that came to us. We were invited slowly and pursued through a relationship. It was more of the initial impact of someone who just, keeps, who just kept loving me and pursuing and pointing me to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you were raised in church and just that relationship, but it wasn't necessarily church. It was the relationship. Was that, if that was you, would you raise your hand? You were just pursued by a friend, and it was a long process. The most beautiful thing is I could raise my hand both times. I was raised in church, I heard the message proclaimed, and it was through a, an awakening of, of my spirit that God said, here, this is true. He got me alone, away from everyone else, away from all the other influences, showed me the gospel, and changed my life. But that time came through the slow invitation of a friend that said, hey, will you just come with me? Why don't you just come back to church with me? I was raised in church, and we left the church, and I quit going. And a friend said, hey, why don't you come back, come hang out with me? We were invited. Some of us, we many, some of us in here, we may even be, we may be the skeptic. We may have been the skeptic. We had questions. We looked at the church as a bunch of weirdos, right? <laughs> some of you looked and said, I, I don't even be a part of this. Right? There's no way. Maybe if they answer some all of my questions, then I'll can then I'll see it. But you didn't get it at first. You were hesitant, maybe even a little reluctant. But the grace of God is bigger. Is that you? If that was you, raise your hand. Anybody in here? Now, if you raised your hand in any of those circumstances, raise your hand again for me. Look around. You see this? These are your brothers and sisters who have been changed and invited by Jesus. And we are a people called to follow. Invited by a, a, the gracious, heavenly Father. It's not just a way we begin our prayers. It is a title of the God of all creation who loves us and stepped in. I have a friend who serves in ministry and he tells the story of one of his closest friends and his friend had that testimony that was completely living apart from God he was living you know you could say he was on the highway to a place you don't want to go all right and he was singing it as a song and he was good he had it figured out and God radically changed his life gripped his heart he was never the same 180 degree change 
from that point forward, he gave his life to Jesus. He began to follow him, and he never looked back. One day, my brother Lane, my, a friend of mine who serves in ministry, he was encouraging this person. I said, brother, I am so thankful for your testimony. I am so glad what God has done in your life. He has taken you out of this situation and completely changed your life. And you know what his friend looked back at him and said? Brother, I am more amazed at God's grace in your life. And Lane looked at him and kind of went, wait a minute, what? what? Look, you were, he says, Lane, you were living, raised in a Christian home, never did anything wrong. You never broke the rules. You were a good kid, a good teenager. You went to Bible college, you were, and yet God still opened your eyes to your need for him. That's what the grace of God does. That's what the invitation by Jesus is for each of us to come, no matter where we're at, near, far, whatever our circumstances, God's grace is sufficient. So we need to see the initiative of the caller, and we need to hear the invitation of the called, but we also need to understand the intention of the calling. Three intentions real quick for us. Jesus intends to have a relationship with us. This is not a decision that he's called us to make one time and everything to be good. What does he do when the two disciples come? He comes and asks them a question. He says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you seeking out? What are you searching for? They got one answer. They got one opportunity. It's pretty much just ask anything of Jesus. It's kind of an open-ended question, and they just kind of, they just kind of I don't know. <laughs> Rabbi, I think that's what they did. They were like, oh, my goodness. Uh, Rabbi, I'm above, where, where are you staying? They were asking for, like, his physical address. You know what Jesus replies? He says, come and see. I don't think Jesus was saying, hey, come look at my, come, come check out my crib right here, right? Come check out, check out my home. It's nice, isn't it? Now he's saying, if you'll come and see, you're going to see more than just where I live. You're going to see who I am. He intends to have a relationship with us. It says they spent the rest of the day. It was customary for the disciple to leave everything behind of his former life and devote, and devote everything to following in the, footsteps, in the footsteps of the rabbi. And it was an invitation to see Jesus for who he truly was by being with him. To come and see was to leave and to cleave, leave behind all that they knew and to cleave to this new form of life. And the intention of Jesus is calling for us to come and see, to follow him, is the, is the intention for us to be in a relationship with him. We cannot do life for Jesus if we're not doing life with Jesus, Matt Chandler said. He says, you cannot do life for Jesus. And all of, a lot of us are all about the life for Jesus. But we need to understand that Jesus, first and foremost, has called us to have a life with him before we try to go and do something for him. What does he tell Philip? He says, hey, Philip, follow me. Come be with me. Understand what that following meant. Luke 9.23 says that, gives us a better picture when it says, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, myself, must deny themselves, 
take up their cross daily, and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. This invitation is an invitation to die to ourself and to follow him. Jesus intends to to have a relationship with us. Jesus intends to change us. Jesus intends to change us. That's what he does with Peter. He changes his name. Verse 42, Andrew brought Peter, brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Understand the importance of a name in the Old Testament for him to change his name was for him to change his identity. He's our Savior and he meets us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us where we're at. He never intends us to stay there. You cannot meet Jesus and not change. If you meet Jesus and you do not change, then you haven't met the real Jesus. He intends to change us. Most importantly, Jesus intends to use us as his voice and his messenger. This is where the doing life for Jesus comes into play. But it's only preceded, it's got to be preceded by doing the life with Jesus. But there comes a point where when they saw, finally saw what Jesus had done in their lives, they couldn't help but go tell someone else, right? Andrew goes and tells Peter. Philip goes and, and gets Nathaniel. You catch that? Peter is one of the most, is one of the largest figures in the New Testament. He is the rock. The one who proclaimed the truth that the church would be built on. But if it wasn't for Andrew, we wouldn't even know Peter. If it wasn't for Andrew, we wouldn't have the account of Peter. Andrew met Jesus and went and found Peter. Philip followed Jesus and went and invited Nathaniel along. This is the natural and common practice seen in scriptures. We've got to understand that there is an unnatural force practice of going into the world and telling others about it, but there is a grace-driven obedience that says, not that I have to, but rather that I can't wait to. I just had the opportunity yesterday to do my grandfather's memorial service. He passed away uh, a week and a half ago. In that, I, I was reminded when I was thinking about it, my grandfather was one of those men that I hoped was proud of me. But the beautiful thing about it is, is I, even as I say that I hope he was proud of me, I know that he was proud of me. I know that that man loved me with everything that he had, unconditionally, fully. And you know what that did in me, in my relationship with him? It made me want to, it made me want to make him that much more proud. Knowing that there was nothing I could do that would make him not love me gave me this drive within me that says, I can't wait to make him more proud. Can I just tell you right now, that is what grace is meant to do for us. Grace is meant to show us that he has done great things and his love is unconditional. Therefore, why wouldn't we go out and live and love the world for him? We get to be the herald to know him. And so here's my challenge to us. Here's my challenge to each of us. My challenge for us as a church is that we would take one step in 2020 in following and proclaiming Jesus more this year. 
Why? Because the calling to believe, we have been invited by Jesus to follow him. And it's a relationship, it's a knowing, and it's making him known. How can I take one step? A couple things real quick. We got... We've got to dive into his word. We've got to know who Jesus is. We've got to read about him. We're going to start off. You're getting ready to start off just a couple of days, a new year. Many of you may be looking for a Bible reading plan. I'm going to be posting a Bible reading plan that I would recommend that I'm going to be walking through. I'd encourage you to walk through it with me. Many of you may already have a Bible reading plan that you're going to be going through, and I, want, I don't want to discourage anyone from that. But if you don't have something, I just think that there's something about it when we start walking through Scripture together. And so if, you need, if you're looking for something, maybe it is saying, you know what, I'm going to get into his word more. I'm going to know him more. We'll, we'll have opportunity. There's an opportunity for that. We're going to have opportunity. We need to look for opportunities to pray for one another. We're going to hopefully be rolling out a resource in the, in the coming weeks, maybe in the next couple months, where we are able to connect better as a church, where we're able to pray for one another, and we're able to lift each other up, walk together as a community. We're going to be celebrating in 2020 50 years of ministry here on this hill at Smoke Rise Baptist Church. We're going to be celebrating that at the end of May, the 1st of June. 50 years of ministry. And my challenge to us as a church is that we would take 50 steps in following Jesus leading up to that 50-year celebration. That could be a couple, that could be a number of different things, a combination of different things. Maybe it's, uh, maybe one of those steps is a person stepping from life to death, salvation. Maybe it's taking the next step from, from being an attender of this church to a member of this church and joining and partnering with us in ministry. Maybe it's that person taking a step of public declaration in their faith through baptism. But what we need to understand is God has stepped into our lives and he's inviting us to follow him and along the way to bring others along with us. That is our purpose. I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to close, close a little different. It's been, it's been different today. It's been different. But we said it's all about Jesus. We, become, we want to become a church. My heartbeat and my vision for this church is that we would be a church that proclaims Jesus. Why? Because Jesus sought us. He has invited us to follow him. And the way that they come, the way that we came was through someone inviting us. But it's all about him. And so they're going to sing a song that we've been, we've been looking at. And the words are simple that, that we're just one individual. And really we're just a nobody wanting to tell everybody all about somebody who saved us, who rescued us, and has called us to tell the world about this God.